Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to whom, uh, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who had heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which is just as they had been told. This is the glory of uh, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me this morning? Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we do not have, give us. What we are not, make us. By the power of your Spirit, working through your Holy Word, for the sake of your Son, our Savior. Amen. So it was fall, 1994, and rumors had reached the ear of the Dean of Students that Lynn Rundell, the poster child for Houghton College, the teacher's pet, the future homecoming queen, was dating Dan Waugh. (laughs) Dan Waugh, who had spent two years on disciplinary probation... The dean of students thought it was obvious that this malcreant had beguiled Lynn with his wit, his charm, his boyish good looks, and felt compelled to intervene. So the dean of students pulled Lynn aside and had a conversation, warning her about dating Dan Waugh. Dan Wall finds trouble wherever it can be found. Think twice. As much as I resented the dean for having that conversation, he wasn't wrong. Uh, During the first two years of my time in college, I was actively and consciously rebelling against God's will and God. And the lack of peace that I had between God and myself spilled out into every area of my life. My life was marked by a distinct lack of peace, discord, anger, rebellion. As I thought about that this week again, and was entertained slightly by it, it's not just my story. It's the story of humanity. Uh, We were established in the perfect peace 
of the garden, enjoying perfect fellowship with God, unencumbered by anything. And yet, just a few pages into humanity's story, there is a great disturbance to the peace when man chooses autonomy over submission to God's will. When man rebels against God, the peace is disturbed. But right there, right at that moment, God initiates a peace plan. The process of this peace plan plays out over the Old Testament through the highs and the lows and the words of the prophets and the lives of the patriarchs and the reigns of the kings. But we come to this little town of Bethlehem and just outside this town to a group of shepherds, this peace plan comes to a a tipping point and the angels announce peace on earth. Peace is coming through this little child that has been born in a manger. This little child who will mature and live a life of perfect righteousness and die a death of substitution and raise victorious and is one day coming back to establish that perfect peace, to consummate it. Peace on earth was the announcement. This morning I just want to think about three, uh, ponder three insights regarding this peace that the angels announced. First, the peace that God promises, the peace that the angels are heralding, is a peace that covers the whole earth. Uh, This week I realized that my sons have really never known an America at peace. My son Caleb was born in 2001, just a few months before the Twin Towers fell, and we entered the 20-year war on terror. And then I thought about, you know what, I have barely known an America at peace, I was born at the tail end of the Vietnam War, which was situated in the larger context of the Cold War, and we talked about things like containment and Star Wars and mutually assured destruction. Pleasant. And just when the Iron Curtain was falling, we entered into a Persian Gulf War and then a war on terror. And that's just my little slice. That's just our little slice. That's our nation. When you expand globally, there's been wars in the Congo, in Myanmar, in Yemen, in the Ukraine. War is the rule. Peace is the exception. When man entered into rebellion with God, that lack of vertical peace spilled out into conflict in every way. Philosopher George Santayana said that only the dead have seen the end of war. And even when we enter into periods of peace, we know it is a tentative, temporary, fragile peace. Even in those periods of international peace, there's conflicts in school boards. There's arguments in homeowners associations about the proper height of a fence. 
There's squabbles among siblings and spouses. And the angels come and they proclaim into this mess peace on earth. A peace that is pervasive and permanent. It's a peace that the prophets spoke about, Isaiah and Micah, when they said, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In this established peace that God will bring, there's no more industry of war, no more invading armies, no more ICBMs or AR-15s. There's no more war for wealth. Christ will be the treasure of all. There's no more war of religions. All lies and heresies end. All false prophets brought down. Isaiah 11 says they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled of the, with the knowledge of the Lord. There's no more fighting the land to yield enough water or resources or food. The curse is lifted. And a shalom, a peace that is even better than that of the garden, descends upon humanity. Now obviously... This peace awaits a future, future consummation. But it has arrived already. It's been initiated in the hearts of God's people. The peace that God offers is not just an external, out there peace among nations, but a very personal peace. Not just a external peace, a peace of circumstances, but a peace of heart, a spiritual peace. I guess as we've probably all experienced times in our life where everything externally seems to be going okay. Steady paycheck, enough money in the bank to cover the mortgage, kids are doing okay, and yet inside we're still roiling with anxiety and bitterness, anger, maybe even hatred. We're, we're warring against sin and guilt and shame. We're battling feelings of not-enoughness, of being unloved or unlovable. And even while everything looks fine on the outside, inside you're, you're wrestling with a sense that You'll be found out or you're a failure. The peace that the angels announce penetrates even to that depth, even to the depth of your heart and your most internal fears and struggles. In Christ, uh, that baby lying in a manger, God was tearing down all obstacles to peace, external and internal. Christ was tearing down the wall of hostility between God and man. Scripture tells us that because of the sin we inherited and because of the sins that we commit, we're enemies of God. And God in Christ was reconciling humanity. 
Paul says in Romans 5, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I know we've probably experienced in our lives, in our homes again, times where there's outright hostility and voices are raised and tones are sharp. And then hopefully, someone takes a step towards reconciliation and says, I'm sorry. God was taking that step towards us in reconciliation. Paul says in Colossians 1, In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now maybe you're thinking all those passages are about Christ's death and the cross, and that's the wrong holiday, and I understand. But even behind the manger, the cross looms large. Because it was for that reason Christ was born, so that he could make atonement for sin and be the reconciler. Charles Wesley's hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sings, celebrates this truth. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Christ has torn down that dividing wall of hostility, and he's tearing down the obstacle of guilt as well. Students, I'm sure you probably remember reading Edgar Allan Poe's short story, The Telltale Heart, right? If you haven't read it yet, you will. So listen up. This is your Cliff Notes version of it. The narrator has murdered the old man. Why? We're not entirely sure other than the old man's cloudy eye creeped him out. And he dismembered, this is a weird story for a Christmas Sunday, I get that. (laughs) He dismembers the old man and hides him under the floorboards of his home. And as he's being interviewed by a police officer about the disappearance of the old man, he begins to hear the thump, thump, thump of a beating heart. And he's sure that the policeman must hear it also. And he's sure that he is being found out. And it drives him insane. We live with that same fear. And it robs us of peace. The fear of being found out. The fear that our guilt will be uncovered. Our shame exposed. But here's the good news. It has been. God knows your guilt, he knows your shame, and he loves you still. We have been found out. We don't need to hide. We don't need to go to the cover of darkness. Even what is done in the recesses of our hearts and minds is known to God. And so rather than hide it, confess it. Don't live in the fear of being found out. Embrace the fact that you have been found out. And here, as our darkest 
most shame-filled, guilt-ridden selves come to God, we find his love shines the brightest. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while he knew the depth of our depravity, Christ died for us. He tears down the obstacle of guilt, and he tears down the obstacle of isolation, of not belonging, of of not fitting in, of not having community. Those things rob us of peace, and Christ comes and tears that down as well. Kids, have you ever felt like you're a square peg and every hole is round? You just don't fit in. And you wonder, where's my tribe? Where's my people? What's wrong with me? Christ comes and brings you into his fold, adopts you into his family, and in so many ways, his family resembles the island of misfit toys. Broken, prostitutes, leopards, blind, deaf, lame, tax collectors, and people who've left everything to follow Jesus. And he brings them in, and he says, here, here you belong. Christ has dealt with all the obstacles to our peace. He's reconciled us, forgiven us, and adopted us in Christ. Appropriate that peace into your life. Let me encourage you in the daily practice of confession and receiving the assurance of pardon. Confessing your sins daily keeps them from piling up, keeps the guilt from and the shame from just piling on, keeps you from going back into hiding. You stand naked before God and say, here are all my faults, my sins. I confess them, and I hear the words of forgiveness. I hear the words of grace, and I feel the embrace of the Father towards a wayward child who comes back. Do that daily. And as God's peace finds its way into the core of your being, it will work itself out to the edges as well, into what your hands do, to what your fingers type, to what your mouth speaks, even to what your ears hear and your eyes see. We won't be quick to be offended. We'll be instruments of peace. As we experience the peace of God deep in our being, the words that St. Francis prayed can come true. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. The third insight, last one. The peace that God offers is not rooted in policies or practices, 
but in presence. So often we think of peace as the lack of, right? The lack of conflict, the lack of discord. It is that, but it's more. It's presence. The presence of wholeness, of integrity, of beauty, of love, of goodness, of harmony, of contentment. All mediated by the presence of God in your life. God's presence was there in the garden. That is what established the garden as peace. And we see God's presence at the bookend. In Revelation 21, there is no sun, there is no need for it because God is present. He is the light by which the nations walk. Here the angels are heralding the presence of God with humanity in a new, mysterious, unthought of way. God in the flesh. God incarnate. Emmanuel. God with us in a way in which he will never leave nor forsake us. The peace that God offers is the peace of his presence. So no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances, when God is present with you, you can have peace. If you're in the furnace and God is with you, you can have peace. If you're in the lion's den and God is with you, you can have peace. If you're in the trenches, if you're in a family that seems to be falling apart, if you're in a dead-end job, if you're in the midst of the stress of finals, if you're alone, but God is with you, you can have his peace. The angels come, and they announce peace on earth. But as I draw to a close, let me draw your attention to one more phrase. Peace on earth. On earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Well, who is that? Well, Isaiah 48 tells us it's not the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Well, so I have to be righteous to inherit this peace? Yes. But more righteous than you could ever possibly be on your own. You need someone to give you perfect righteousness. Someone to atone for the sins you have already committed. And that person is Jesus. Romans 5 says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. And so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus ready, stands ready to give you his righteousness and thereby his peace. If you would but accept it in faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we are incredibly grateful for the amnesty you extend to us, rebels, us sinners, who try to hide our deeds in darkness, but they're always known to you. Father, I pray that you would draw us into your light by your Spirit, 
so that we can experience the beauty of the forgiveness that you offer us in Jesus Christ, so that we can experience his righteousness draped over our shoulders and the perfect peace that comes through being reconciled to you. Father, we pray that in this season of Advent, we would long for and pray for and rest in this perfect peace. In Jesus' precious name, amen.